This is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season two is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. Cause five. Our immoderate love of life and the comforts and conveniences thereof may be assigned as a proper and real ground and cause of our sinful fears when the dangers of the times threaten the one or the other. Did we love our lives less, we should fear and tremble less than we do. It is said of those renowned saints, Revelation twelve eleven, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame not only the fury of their enemies without them, but their sinful fears within them. And this victory was achieved by their mortification to the inordinate and immoderate love of life. Certainly their own fears had overcome them if they had not first overcome the love of life. It was not, therefore, without very great reason that our Lord enjoined it upon all his disciples and followers to hate their own lives. Luke fourteen twenty six, Not absolutely, but in comparison and competition with him. I.e., to love it in so remiss a degree as to slight and undervalue it as a poor, low thing in such a comparison. He foresaw what sharp trials and sufferings were coming upon them, and he knew if the fond and immoderate love of life were not overcome and mortified in them, it would make them warp and bend under such temptations. This was it that freed Paul from slavish fears and made him so magnanimous and undaunted. Indeed, he had less fear upon his spirits, though he was to suffer those hard and sharp things in his own person than his friends had, who only sympathized with him and were not further concerned than by their own love and pity. He spake like a man who was rather a spectator than a sufferer, Acts twenty twenty four twenty five, None of these things move me, saith he. Great soul, not moved with bonds and afflictions. How did he attain so great courage and constancy of mind in such deep and dreadful sufferings? It was enough to have moved the stoutest man in the world, yea, and to have removed the resolutions of any that had not loved Christ better than his own life. But life was a trifle to him in comparison with Jesus Christ, for so he tells us in the next words, I count not my life dear unto me, QD. It is a low-prized commodity in my eyes, not worth the saving or regarding on such sinful terms. Oh, how many have parted with Christ peace, and eternal life, for fear of losing that which Paul regarded not. And if we bring our thoughts closer to the matter, 
we shall find that this is a fountain of fears in times of danger, and that from this excessive love of life, we are racked and tortured with 10,000 terrors. For, number one, life is the greatest and nearest interest men naturally have in this world, and that which wraps up all other inferior interests in itself. Job 2.4 Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. It is a real truth, though it came from the mouth of the father of lies. Afflictions never touch the quick till they touch the life. Liberty, estates, and other accommodations in this world receive their value and estimation from hence. If life be cut off, these accidents perish and are of no account. Genesis twenty-five thirty-two. Behold, I am at the point to die, said Esau, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Number two, life being naturally the dearest interest of men in this world, the richest treasure, and most beloved thing on earth to a natural man. That which strikes at and endangers life must in his eyes be the greatest evil that can befall him. On this account, death becomes terrible to men, yea, as Job calls it, the king of terrors. Job 18.14 The black prince, or the prince of clouds and darkness, as some translate those words, yea, so terrible is death upon this account that the very fear of it hath sometimes precipitated men into the hands of it. As we sometimes observe in times of pestilence, the excessive fear of the plague hath induced it. Number three, though death be terrible in any shape, in the mildest form it can appear in, yet a violent and bloody death by the hands of cruel and merciless men is the most terrible form that death can appear in. It is now the king of terrors indeed, in the most ghastly representation and frightful form, in its scarlet robes and terrifying formalities. In a violent death, all the barbarous cruelty that the wit of our enemies can invent or their malice inflict is mingled together in a violent death are many deaths converted into one. And it oftentimes approaches men by such slow and deliberate paces that they feel every tread of its foot as it advanceth towards them. Moriatur, ut sentiet semori. Let him so die, said the tyrant, that he may feel himself to die, yea, and how he dies by inch meal or slow lingering degrees, and this is exceedingly frightful, especially to those that are of most soft and tender nature and temper, who must needs be struck through with the terrors of death, except the Lord arm them against it with the assurance of a better life and sweeten these bitter apprehensions by the foretastes of it. This is enough to put even sanctified nature into consternation and make a very gracious heart to sink unless it be so upheld by divine strength and comfort. And hence come many 
very many of our fears and terrors, especially when the same enemies that have been accustomed to this bloody work shall be found confederating and designing again to break in upon us and act over again as much cruelty as ever they have done upon our brethren in times past. Cause six. To conclude, many of our sinful fears and consternations flow from the influences of Satan upon our fantasies. They say winds and storms are oft times raised by Satan, both by air, sea, and land. And I never doubted, but the prince of the power of the air, by God's permission, can and often doth put the world into great frights and disturbances by such tempests. Job 1, 19. He can raise the loftiest winds, pour down roaring showers, rattle in the air with fearful claps of thunder and scare the lower world with terrible flashes of lightning. And I doubt not, but he hath, by the same permission, a great deal of influence and power upon the fancies and passions of men and can raise more terrible storms and tempests within us than ever we heard or felt without us. He can, by leave from God, approach our fantasies, disturb and trouble them exceedingly by forming frightful ideas there. For Satan not only works upon men immediately by the ministry of their external senses, but by reason of his spiritual, angelical nature, he can have immediate access to the internal sense also, as appears by diabolical dreams, and by practicing upon that power of the soul, he influences the passions of it and puts it under very dreadful apprehensions and consternations. Now, if Satan can provoke and exasperate the fury and rage of wicked men, as it is evident he can do, as well as he can go to the magazines and storehouses of thunder, lightnings, and storms, Oh, what inward storms of fear can he shake our hearts withal? And if God give him but a permission, how ready will he be to do it, seeing it is so conducible to his design? For by putting men into such frights, he at once weakens their hands in duty, as is plain from his attempt this way upon Nehemiah chapter 6, 13. And if he prevail there... He drives them into the snares and traps of his temptations, as the fishermen and fowler do the birds and fishes in their nets, when once they have flushed and frighted them out of their coverts. And thus you have some account of the principal and true causes of our sinful fears. This concludes part 12 of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.